We'll be starting at verse 33 of Luke 5 and reading through to chapter 6 and verse 11. Uh, you have Bibles there in front of you. You can follow on if you like or it's on the screen behind me. And we're going to pick up Luke's account after the Pharisees have questioned Jesus and his disciples about eating with tax collectors and sinners. Verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Hey, good morning everyone. It's nice to be here, isn't it? And um, uh, I see a few fresh faces in the congregation. That's always nice. So if you're one of those fresh faces, uh, I'm Scott. And uh, it's my uh, privilege to uh, share with you from God's word this morning. So it's a good thing for us to pray, isn't it? Um, let's pray first. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. And uh, <clears throat> it's our prayer now that as we... Uh, uh, focus uh, on what this passage of scripture is saying, that um, you'd give us clear minds, that you'd give us soft hearts, uh, that we would understand the, uh, the rest that you've given us in the Lord Jesus. And we pray these things now in his name. Amen. <clears throat> now, 
Now, just pardon me while I clear my throat. I'll stand away from the microphone. <coughs> yep. <coughs> that feels a bit better. Uh, well, I wonder how you feel when you are finally able to take a rest. Do you know what I mean by that? You know, you've been going hard at uh, work or at school all week and then it's Friday afternoon and you can go home. That's great, isn't it? You can rest. Or uh, maybe you've had family uh, uh, over at your place for Easter, staying with you. And that's fantastic, isn't it? Isn't that great? But you kind of know that when their holiday finishes, your resting begins. Is that right? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, recently Cassie and I uh, took uh, two whole months off from our responsibilities uh, here at church. And do you know what we did on the very first day of that uh, long service leave? You know what we did? We slept. <laughs> we slept. I, I woke up on a couch. It was 11 o'clock in the morning. I looked over and there was Cassie asleep on another couch. And, <laughs> and I, did not, I did not feel any guilt whatsoever. Uh, you know what we felt? We didn't feel guilt. We felt relief, relief, relief that all of those jobs, all of those responsibilities, all of those things which we had to do in order to be able to take two months off had been done. We could finally rest until I remembered that one job that I hadn't done <laughs> and I had a panic attack until I got that done. You know, Jesus once said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I mean, what's he, what, what kind of rest is that? It, it sounds enticingly something more than just the, um, the, the physical and the mental rest that we get at the end of a, a working week, uh, and it is more. And it's an issue which actually emerges uh, in the passage that we're looking at today in Luke chapter 5. Uh, it's an issue which emerges not in a sense in the context of working for something, but it's, a, it's an issue that emerges in the context of, of conflict. And it's a conflict which we, uh, we kind of saw brewing last week, uh, I think, when... You remember when Jesus uh, healed a, uh, uh, when, when Jesus told a paralyzed man, "Your sins are forgiven." And uh, then Jesus and his disciples uh, were found to be enjoying uh, eating, enjoying having a banquet, enjoying the hospitality of a despised tax collector. And that created conflict. It was conflict between, on the one hand, Jesus, and the other, on the other hand, Jewish religious leaders. To be more specific, uh, it was those Jewish religious leaders who were Pharisees and teachers of the law. Uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, in the, when we read the New Testament, they always seem to be the bad guys, don't they? But, you know, those groups of people, they were not always like that. For, in fact, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law originally were men who had such a great love for God 
that they did not want to break any of God's laws. Um, in fact, they were so keen not to break any of God's laws that they devised their own laws and, and traditions uh, which acted as sort of like a, a fence around God's laws. So in order for someone to break one of God's laws, they would have had to have um, broken uh, one or two of the other traditions which were like a fence around those laws. So it was a, they developed these traditions, they developed these regulations uh, that, so that people would not even come close to breaking the laws of God. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, there's a number of problems with that. One of the, the biggest problems perhaps was that over time, do you know what they started loving more than loving God? They started loving their own laws and traditions and they became um, or what we might describe as being legalistic so what happens when these religious leaders meet Jesus well they pounce on anything that Jesus does which they think breaks one of their laws or traditions um, like in chapter 5 verse 33 if you want to have that open in your Bibles uh, when Jesus and his disciples had enjoyed themselves uh, at the, the banquet which was hosted by the despised tax collector, check out what happened in verse 33 when the, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law um, spotted them doing this. And it says, They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. That's John the Baptist. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours... Go on eating and drinking. What are they saying? Well, they're saying that, you know what? Godly people fast regularly, but you guys don't. Now, um, let's think about that. To fast means to intentionally go without food. And sometimes we might do that if we're going to have a medical procedure happening or if we're on a particular diet or something like that. But it's something which godly Jews would do in order to spend more time praying. And especially they would be doing so when things were not going well. Um, like when Israel had been defeated by her enemies and was being oppressed by her enemies, the people would fast and they would pray as they grieved their sin and they begged God to, 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 to rescue them, to save them. So the question therefore is, why should people be fasting now that Jesus has arrived on the scene? Uh, and we can see, everyone could see what was happening, the great things that were happening. There were lepers who were being cleansed. There were demons that were being driven out. There were sick people who were being healed. And there were even despised, sinful, ungodly tax collectors who were repenting and turning back to God. Check out Jesus' response in verse 34. They've asked him, why do you guys not eat and why do you go on eating and drinking instead of fasting? And Jesus answered, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? 
But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. Now, last week I read about a a young couple uh, in organising their wedding reception decided to cut costs by serving only meat pies at the reception. (laughs) And uh, people were sceptical at first, but it actually went down a treat. Everyone said it was great. But can you imagine, can you imagine going to, turning up at a wedding reception and finding that there's no food? That it's been decided that you're going to fast? How'd you feel? I think I would be kind of a bit reluctant to hand over my wedding present (laughs) in that kind of situation. You know, feel a bit ripped off. (laughs) Because it's a ridiculous idea, isn't it? And that's exactly the point which Jesus is making. The cry of God's people, their great hope that God would send a saviour, a rescuer, the very reason why they prayed and fasted has actually now been granted in the presence of Jesus. This is not a time for fasting. This is a time of feasting. Now, um, one of the uh, dangers in churches um, is that the the gospel can sometimes become buried under a, under a mountain of uh, laws, regulations and traditions. And churches can become like religious clubs um, with uh, social activities, with uh, buildings to, to own and to care for and with positions to hold and so on. And that can become the, the culture of the church. So if someone joined a church like that and started sharing the gospel, started telling people about sin and judgment and the cross of Jesus and their need to, to repent and be forgiven, well, what would you expect to happen? Some people may actually embrace that and be saved. But you would also expect conflict with uh, self-righteous people who think that they are, in fact, already good enough for God because of their church traditions. And they think that they're already uh, not only good enough for God, but that they're actually better than most other people, than many other people. It's as if Jesus is is sort of like a, a moral teacher who kind of blends in with their religion. But the gospel of Jesus is incompatible with a religion of self-righteousness. And that that incompatibility, that's the reason why the the religious leaders uh, rejected Jesus. They, uh, They wanted to eject him out of their system because he was not compatible. And Jesus describes this conflict with two illustrations. The first one is in verse 36. Check it out with me. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it onto an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. So 
<clears throat> your favourite pair of old faded jeans. Have now got a hole in them. <laughs> what are you going to do? Are you going to go down to Just Jeans and spend a hundred bucks on a new, brand new pair of jeans and take that new pair of jeans home and get your scissors and cut out a patch of denim from the new pair of jeans and then go and sew them onto your old faded pair of jeans? Is that what you're going to do? Of course not. Of course not. Because you would be ruining a perfectly good pair of new jeans and also that, that patch will be, will be dark blue uh, and you're sewing it onto a light faded pair of jeans it won't match and Jesus says in the other accounts of this in uh, the other other gospels that if that new patch is unshrunk you sew it onto the old pair of jeans what's going to happen when you put it in the wash it's going to shrink and it's going to tear away so you've wrecked the new clothing and you haven't fixed the old one as well incompatible or in verse 37, um, in those days, <clears throat> uh, they drank wine uh, quite often, but they, they obviously didn't have wine casks. So they stored wine in skin, uh, in bags, which had been made out of goat skin. And uh, as the, uh, the new wine fermented and expanded in the goat skin, the, uh, the new skin would expand with it. But over time, the, the wine skid would, would become brittle and it would, uh, it would lose its elasticity, which didn't matter if the wine in it was old wine. But if you went and filled an old wine skin with new wine, as that wine fermented, the, uh, the brittle skin would not stretch with the wine and it would burst so that the new wine would be lost and the old skin would be ruined. Incompatible. So what's Jesus saying here? You simply cannot patch the gospel of Jesus onto the old cloth of legalism. It's not compatible. And you cannot contain Jesus in the old skin of ceremonies and traditions. It's not compatible because the gospel is so much better. And yet not everyone thinks so. <clears throat> Check out in verse 39, as Jesus concludes this parable, where he says, And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Now, we all prefer to drink old wine, don't we? It's um, matured and it's, uh, it's, it's better. It is. The problem here is that the same attitude that they have towards old wine, they have towards their old traditions and their, <clears throat> and, and their rituals and their ceremonies and their laws. They love their laws, they love their traditions, but they do not love the new wine, which is Jesus. And the gospel. And so now these uh, Pharisees, they are now monitoring every move that Jesus makes. And the Sabbath day was a great opportunity 
for them to try to catch him out, breaking laws. Uh, by the way, what does the word Sabbath mean? I tell you, it's got two meanings and they're related. It means, the number seven means seventh, and it also means rest. Because in Genesis, what happened? God worked for six days and on the seventh day he, he rested. Sabbath means rest. Um, you take a day off work so that you can rest. Uh, you don't go to the office. You don't go to the factory. You don't go to the shop. You don't do whatever it is that you do in order to earn a living because you're resting. You don't go to work. And it's a good thing, isn't it? Um, day off each week at least is a great thing. It's good for our bodies. It's good for our minds. It's good for our relationships. Um, it also shows that we, that we trust that God will provide <laughs> and that he doesn't need us to be working seven days a week. But the religious leaders had made a long list of things which they defined as work which were not actually about doing what you do to earn your living, um, such as lighting a fire. You can't light a fire on the Sabbath. And that's still in place in modern Judaism. Uh, it's the reason why for some modern Jews that they don't drive a car on a Sabbath because that involves igniting an engine to drive the car or not turning on a light switch on the Sabbath because that's like lighting a fire. Um, although there are ways of um, <clears throat> dealing with it, of course. It is perfectly uh, uh, legal under modern Jewish Judaism, Judaism to, um, uh, to make use of an electrical timer device and set it for the Sabbath so the lights go on and off at particular times when you need them. Uh, you can even, and some electrical appliances are now have programmed into them what they call Sabbath mode. So that on the Sabbath, it switches over to Sabbath mode. And, uh, for example, you can open the fridge door without the light inside turning on, um, on Sabbath mode. It's true. Um, check it out. Uh, I don't know that they sell them at Harvey Norman, but uh, anyhow... <laughs> But in Jesus' day, he got food not from the fridge but from the farm. And uh, so take a look, therefore, at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. On the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Well, what are the Pharisees thinking? They're thinking plucking equals, equals reaping, rubbing equals threshing, and throwing away the husks equals winnowing. So therefore, the disciples of Jesus are working as farmers on the Sabbath. So, gotcha. But Jesus turns the gotcha back on them because they claimed to be the experts in the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament so well, better than anyone else. And so in verses 3, 
He answered them and says, well, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? (laughs) As if they've never read this. He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. (laughs) He writes as if these... As if these guys had never read that. It comes from uh, 1 Samuel 21, I think, where David with his men were, were fleeing because Saul was after David in order to kill him. So David was in fear of his life. He was in a very precarious, very vulnerable state of, of life. And they were hungry and they asked a priest for some food. And there was food available. But the priest said, oh, sorry guys, I, I do have bread available, but it's, it's kind of been consecrated to God, and so I just can't give it to you, so I'm sorry. Uh, you'll have to go hungry, but I promise I'll pray for you. Is that what the priest said? No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, no, not, not, not in no sense. He gave them the food, which is called loving your neighbour. And David actually took the food. He took the food. He received it. The priest loved his neighbour. David could see that that was the right thing to do. Whilst these Pharisees would rather the disciples of Jesus go hungry on the day of rest. And then in verses 6 through to 11, again, it's, it's another day. It's another Sabbath. They're in a synagogue and there's a man who is there in the synagogue who has a, his right hand is shriveled. Now think about the implications of that for that man's work. The right hand is what we, many of us use in order to do our work. He couldn't even work. His right hand was shriveled. Now the religious leaders were there and they didn't particularly care about this man and his well-being. They just wanted to be able to pounce, which they do in verse 7. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. (laughs) Jesus knew their thoughts and Jesus didn't back off. Instead, he provoked. When in front of everyone, he gets the man to stretch out his hand and this hand is now healed by Jesus. The Pharisees reckoned that uh, Jesus had broken the Sabbath law by working as a healer, by working as a doctor, by helping someone on the Sabbath. But again, what does the Sabbath mean? It means rest. It means rest. It means a reversal of all of those things which are difficult in life, the struggles and the, the burdens that we bear. It's the reversal of that. And what is our greatest burden? In Luke chapter 18, Jesus was with some self-righteous people who looked down their noses at everybody else. And so he told them a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector who both went to the temple one day to pray. The Pharisee, he prayed to God And he said, thank you, God, that I am not like other men, 
that I'm not like these robbers or evildoers or adulterers or that I'm not like this tax collector praying beside me, that I, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all my income. Why does he fast twice a week? Why is he bothering to do that? Is it because he's grieving over his sin? Is it because he's begging God for God's salvation? don't think so. Yet the tax collector was so burdened by his sin that all he could do was cry out, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, last week we saw that Jesus, the Son of Man, had authority to forgive sins. Remember that? Here in verse 5, we see that Jesus claims to be the Son of Man who is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath. Because Jesus actually is the Sabbath. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, said Jesus, and I will give you rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. And he does that by lifting from us our greatest burden, the burden of the guilt of our sin, by dying on the cross. Now, I recall a man who had been um, coming to church, young man, been coming to church all of his life. Uh, his family were um, <clears throat> part, of the, part of the history of the church. His father was an elder in the church and uh, he had, was very active in terms of uh, his relationships with people and he uh, came to a Bible study group um, every week and he was a very moral upstanding kind of young guy but nervously he came to me one day because he was burdened he was deeply burdened he was burdened by guilt not because he had just gone and done something which was really terrible but he was burdened by the guilt of his sin because his soul had experienced no rest. And as he uh, spoke to me, um, deeply troubled, he told me that uh, although he was a regular church member, that um, that was all that he was. That was all that he was. That he knew in his heart that he had, he had never actually uh, trusted in Jesus. He had never actually confessed his sin to, to God and sought forgiveness um, through the blood of Jesus. And he said to me, can you help me? Can you help me? I tell you, he, uh, he came feeling burdened. He left feeling relieved, greatly relieved. And it's that rest for our souls which begins when we trust in Christ and which continues into God's eternal Sabbath. The foretaste of which we see in the presence 
and the ministry of Jesus and in the day off from work every week. It's a foretaste of God's eternal Sabbath, his eternal rest, where there will be no sickness, where there will be no suffering, where there will be no tears because there will be no sin. And it's the kind of rest that we all need, isn't it? Because Jesus did not come in order to amend or to modify or to improve religion. Jesus did not come in order to make good people better. He came to do that which all of the laws, the rituals, the traditions, the ceremonies could never do. To die for our forgiveness so that we can have rest. Rest for our souls. Rest in, in him. And so I guess my question to you uh, today, therefore, I've got two questions. One is, have you found that rest for your soul? Uh, it's not impossible that in a group such as this that there might be someone who is like, you know, that man I referred to, um, regularly in church, um, committed to the congregation even, but never actually having turned your burden over to Jesus and found forgiveness and true rest. Uh, if that is you, then it's something which you need to sort out and uh, pray to God and come clean with him and find that rest that you so badly need. By trusting in Jesus. And if, uh, like many and most of us here, you are someone who has trusted in Jesus and you enjoy that rest, what is the danger for us? Well, there is a danger which we need to be mindful of. And that danger is that um, <clears throat> over time, as God works in our lives and as our lives change, as we become more, uh, more godly people in one sense, that we can start to trust more on who we are than in what Jesus has done for us. When perhaps pride starts to get a foothold uh, in our lives. When we start to look at ourselves and compare ourselves with others who are not doing so well in life. And we start to become self-righteous. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? Remember the tax collector at the temple. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And make sure that we are not only resting in Christ, but we are resting because of Christ, because of what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus who, uh, in whom we have that rest for our souls. Father, we pray that uh, uh, we would not become people who trust in who we are and trust in our religious observances and all of the things which we do, 
It would be people who trust only in you and only in what Jesus has done for us. And we thank you for that, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.